Hey, this is Greg Little from Bethany Baptist Church. I'm so thankful that you decided to join us on this podcast. I trust that the Lord will use it in your life to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you wherever you are in your walk with Him. For more information about Bethany, you can visit us online at bethanybc.ca. And now let's open our hearts and minds to what the Lord has for us. Matthew chapter 10. We'll start reading in verse number 1 and read down to verse number 15. Matthew 10, starting in verse 1, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus and Levius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor brass in your purses, nor scrip for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves. For the workman is worthy of his meat. And in whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire, who in it is worthy, and there abide till you go thence. When you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. As we start this morning, let me show you a picture. Does anybody know who this is? A few people know who it is. Who is it? Say her name. Susan Boyle is her name. There we go. You knew who it was. You just may not have known her name, Susan Boyle. So you, many of you know who you are. For those of you that don't know who she is, she is a Scottish opera singer. And... Uh, she was completely unknown outside of her circle, I'm sure, of family and friends up uh, just a little over 15 years ago until she decided to audition for a show called Britain's Got Talent. Have you ever heard of that show? And so she went and she auditioned for this talent show, this this. This talent show where they try to find the next big star, the next big act, whether it's singing or uh, acrobatics or uh, magicians or whatever it might be. All these different people come and they audition for the show. And it was interesting to watch because as she walked out on the stage to audition, this 47-year-old lady aspiring to be the next great singer, the next great opera singer... She walked out onto that stage and she was met with a lot of cynicism and skepticism. Nobody believed in her. She was a nobody. 
from a small town in Scotland. She didn't look the part. She didn't really sound the part when she began to speak. And the camera is kind of panned to the crowd and it showed them laughing and rolling their eyes and wondering, what in the world is this lady going to do? She stood up there saying that it was her desire to be a professional opera singer. And everybody just kind of laughed. There was no way that this woman standing up there would be a professional opera singer. And yet, as the music began to play and she opened her mouth, nobody expected what came out. It was beautiful. Nobody could believe. You should have seen their faces just amazed at what they were hearing. That as she was singing, it was amazing. And and by the next day, that video of her singing had been viewed over 11 million times in one day. In the next 10 years, she would sell over 25 million records. She became the very first female artist to have a number one song, number one album, sorry, simultaneously in both the United Kingdom and the United States. She was an unlikely star, we might say. She came from a, a small town. The only place that she had ever sung before this audition was in her local church. Just an unknown person, diagnosed with autism and epilepsy. In the music industry, as you looked at her walk out on the stage, she would not be the one that you would expect to do well and have such fame. And yet often, I think we see unexpected people from unexpected places doing unexpected things. And I think that statement this morning, unexpected people from unexpected places doing unexpected things, is one that perfectly describes the disciples in our passage here this morning. And we've already been introduced to some of the disciples, some of the students, some of the pupils, the followers of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. But here in chapter 10, Matthew introduces us to the 12. These 12 disciples that would personally follow Jesus. Above all of the followers who followed Jesus, and there were many that followed him, these 12 were specifically chosen by him. In fact, the word that Matthew uses here, it's the only time he uses it in the book of Matthew. In verse number two, he calls them the 12 apostles. Those who are sent out, the sent ones. One who is sent with a specific message, with a specific purpose. Most of the time, this word apostle is used it's speaking, I mean, through the entire New Testament, it's speaking of these 12 specific disciples sent out as personal messengers uh, of Jesus Christ to spread the good news of the gospel. I'd like to make just a couple of comments here as we begin in regards to this chapter as a whole and the context of it, because I think if we don't understand the context of Matthew chapter 10 specifically and what's going on here, this chapter can be a little confusing. We don't understand the context. We can make some applications to today that don't necessarily apply. 
So a couple of things. First of all, I want you to notice that this chapter is divided into three sections. Uh, verses 1 through 15, which we just read a minute ago, verses 16 through 33, and verses 34 through 42. I don't expect you to remember that. I won't give you a quiz on that later. But those are the three sections of this chapter of Matthew. The first section, verses 1 through 15, is the commissioning of the twelve. To go out and preach the gospel, to preach the, the coming kingdom. If Matthew 28, which we'll get to eventually, is the great commission, then Matthew chapter 10 would be the little commission. Jesus was commissioning just the 12 in these verses. You can't read verses 1 through 15 in today's context. It's not for us. Jesus was sending these 12 on a specific short-term missions trip to go out to the, the city of, of Jerusalem, to the lost people of Israel, and preach the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus had been training uh, these 12 disciples, these 12 apostles, and now he's sending them out on a short trip to preach the gospel of the kingdom of Christ. So verses 1 through 15 speak of past disciples. Then verses 34 through, or 16 through 33 rather, speak of future disciples. We'll look at that next week. Verse 16 through 33, the tense changes from the going out of the gospel to the nation of Israel, and it changes to now going out to all people in all nations. What was a short-term missions trip in verse 16 through 33 becomes a long-term missions goal. Until the Son of Man comes, it says, until Jesus comes to uh, establish His kingdom. And then as the chapter finishes in verse 34 through 42, it changes again from the mission to the characteristics of the missionaries, the kind of characteristics that we ought to have. Those who would be disciples, whether they were the early disciples or today's disciples or future disciples, these are the characteristics that the followers of Jesus ought to have. And so we'll look at that. I just wanted to kind of explain that as we begin looking here this morning at chapter number 10. But I also want us to notice this by way of introduction. Chapter 10, the commissioning and the sending out of the 12 disciples, just remember that it happens on the heels of Matthew 9, verse 36 through 38. And we looked at that just briefly last week. Jesus had been healing all of those that had diseases and all of those that were demon-possessed. He was going about preaching and teaching the kingdom of heaven. And as Jesus goes out, this, this message uh, that the new king had come, as he was setting up this new type of kingdom, as Jesus is traveling about and healing and preaching, he looks out and he sees the great need. And remember, he turned to his disciples and he looked at them and said, the harvest truly is plenteous. There's a great need, but the laborers are few. So what did he say to do? He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers 
into his harvest. And then it's significant that the very next verse, in chapter 10 and verse 1, where we start this morning, Jesus turns and he looks at his disciples, and it's as if he's saying this, by the way, as you pray that prayer, I want you to know that I'm answering that prayer with you. As you pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest, you are the laborers that are going to go into the harvest. And so chapter 10 is really just a, a continuation of the dialogue of chapter 9. Although it starts a new section here in the book of Matthew, another section, remember Matthew's book is, is divided up into sections of, of miracles and healings and, and, uh, and then other sections of Jesus' teaching. And this is going to start an extensive section in the next couple chapters of Jesus' teaching. He's going to give some... Uh, Principles for future disciples. He's going to continue his teaching and his training in this chapter and the next. So, with that in mind, let's make our way quickly through these 15 verses and then make some observations, some applications from this passage. And remember, as we look at these 15 verses, these verses are not prescriptive but descriptive. They're not for us specifically today, but are descriptive of the commissioning and the message that the disciples went out with. It is applicable to the 12. So let's look at it. First of all, you see the commission. The commission in verses 1 through 6. When he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the publican James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, these twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew tells us here that Jesus calls these disciples to himself, these twelve men. Up to this point in the book of Matthew, we've really only been introduced to five of these men, um, Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Matthew. We've been introduced to them, but now Matthew gives us a full list. He introduces us to the rest of the group, these specific disciples that were followers of Jesus. And Jesus calls them to come, follow him. Matthew names them here in verses two through four. Just a couple of interesting things about this list, because there are a number of times that these 12 names, these 12 disciples are mentioned, and it is almost, the list is almost always in the same order. There are really three groups of four of these disciples, those that follow Jesus specifically. Three groups of four. The first group we would call the inner circle. Uh, Peter always heads up this first group in all of the lists. Peter was kind of the, the unofficial leader of the 12 disciples. 
Um, Peter, his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the sons of thunder. Uh, these were always in the first list of four. And then the second group, the second list of four, is always headed up by Philip. And every time that these 12 are mentioned, and then followed by Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, not always in that order. By the way, I find it interesting here that Matthew refers to himself as Matthew the publican. His humility comes through in these verses. And then the third group always begins with James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, sometimes called James the Less. It's funny, we were talking about that at home uh, this week, that that word, the less, is the, the Greek word micros, which means micro, small. So I don't know if James was shorter in stature, or maybe James was shorter in uh, uh, reputation or whatever it might be, but he's called James the less. And then there's Thaddeus, also known as Judas, the uh, son of James. And you can guess why he doesn't normally go by the name Judas, but rather by the name uh, Thaddeus. Then there's Simon the Zealot and Judas the Iscariot, uh, Judas Iscariot. So this is the group of 12, 12 men. And we're going to look at a little bit more of these men in just a minute when we make some applications. But these are 12 men from different backgrounds. They are different, many of them on different ends of the political spectrum. Some of them we know a lot about. Some of them we don't know very much about. Some of them we really know nothing about. But these 12 are the men that Jesus specifically called to follow him. And notice their commission. Jesus tells them in verses 5 and 6 that they were to go. They were to, and by the way, this is how we know that this is not prescriptive for us, but descriptive of the 12, because Jesus tells them, don't go to any of the cities of the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Don't go to any of those places. Go to the lost house of Israel, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, the ones who were, that Jesus just mentioned, wandering about aimlessly as sheep with no shepherd. Those that were helpless and harassed by the spiritual leadership of the day. Those that were lost without a shepherd. Jesus says, here's your commission. Go and preach the gospel of the kingdom. The same message that Jesus preached, they were to preach. Jesus had been preparing them for this moment, and now he sends them out, go. So there's a commission, but also there's an objective. In verse number seven, he says, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was sending them out with this objective, with this goal in mind, with this message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king has come. God is setting up his kingdom with a different type of rule than you're expecting. Jesus, the Messiah, had come like John the Baptist, they went and they preached the message, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God was doing something different. He was starting with the Jew first and then to the Gentile. We'll get there eventually in the book of Matthew. Salvation was at hand. Jesus says, go and preach the good news. 
Go and preach the gospel of the kingdom. That was the objective. Notice the credentials. In verse number one, says, when he had called on him, his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Go down to verse number eight. Jesus says to them specifically, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely ye have received, freely give. Jesus who had all authority and all power, now gives that authority to His 12 disciples. Jesus had demonstrated that authority through His teaching. Remember the people kept saying, we've never seen it like this before. We've never heard anyone speak like this before. They were amazed by the authority of Jesus. He demonstrated it in his teaching, in his miracles. And now he gives that authority to his disciples to do the same. God's power was now their power. It was not their ability. Jesus gave them power to authenticate their message through these supernatural means, casting out demons healing the sick, raising the dead. This was a specific ability that God gave these men that would fully authenticate their message and identify them with Jesus. He gave them the authority. Notice their preparation in verse number 9. He says, Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses nor scrip for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves for the workman is worthy of his meat. In other words, because of the urgency of this message and this mission, they were not to gather any supplies for themselves. I think this was for a couple of reasons. I think it was because this was to be a relatively quick mission. It wasn't long term. We call it a short term missions trip. They were to go out, so don't spend time gathering supplies, but I think also, secondly, that they were to totally rely on the provision and the supply of God. It was a mission that would increase their faith. Remember, Jesus is teaching them. He's training them. He's not going to be around much longer, so he's training them to, to rely on the, the, the full provision and supply of God in their life. And so they go to each city and they go to each town and they're fully relying on God for their needs. Notice the reception. Verses 11 down to verse 15. Into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy. There abide till you go thence. When you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Jesus says, as you go out on this mission, find people that are worthy. That word worthy means to be deserving. Not deserving of salvation, but find someone who is willing to receive your message. 
Someone who wants to hear what you have to say. Someone who will respond positively to your message. If their message was received well, then they were to go to house and stay there. If it was not received well, then they were to leave that house and shake the dust off their feet and there would be judgment for those that would not receive the message of the gospel. Now again, these verses, this commission was given specifically to the 12 disciples. It's not prescriptive for today. As nice as it would be, I cannot heal, heal all sorts of diseases. I can't raise the dead or cleanse the leper. Now I can preach the gospel. I can go to cities and towns that are receptive of the gospel and shake off the dust of my feet with those that are not. But this specific commission wasn't given to you or me. It wasn't given to us. But I think there are some applications that we can make from this. And really, there's just one main application I want to make this morning in the time we have left and just spend a little bit of time with it. Now, you can make all sorts of applications. But I want to make this application. And maybe I'll phrase this application with a question. And the question is this. What kind of people does God use? What kind of people does God use? Now, if you had the responsibility of gathering together a group of 12 people that you were going to charge with getting out a specific message that you had, of spreading that message across the world, of carrying it, carrying on your principles and your passion and your desire, if you had a message that you needed to spread and you could choose 12 people to do it, what kind of people would you choose? If it was me, if I had my pick of whoever I wanted, then I would probably choose the most gifted, the most able, maybe the most well-known to be able to spread this message. There's a reason that companies like Nike and many other companies use athletes and famous people to promote their brand because everybody knows them. They have a large platform. People follow them. Everybody, what was the saying? Everybody wants to be like Mike. So they would use Michael Jordan. They communicate the message well. They're world famous. That's who I would choose. But that's not what Jesus did. Who did Jesus choose? Just think about these 12 men for a minute. Peter. What do you know about Peter? John MacArthur calls him the disciple with a foot-sized mouth. Because his foot was always in there. Yes, he was a great leader, but he was rash. He was rough around the edges. Andrew. Andrew was sensitive to the Lord's leading. He was always introducing people to Jesus, but totally overshadowed by his brother. James left a successful family business to follow Christ and ended up being the first disciple martyred for his faith. John, his brother, James and John, both known for their temper. Remember what Jesus called them? Boenergies, the sons of thunder. 
wanting to call down fire on a Samaritan city for not allowing Jesus to pass through, but also known for his deep love for God. Philip, never quite in the inner circle, but he took a leadership role of the lesser-known disciples. Bartholomew, or Nathaniel, honest and blunt to a fault. <laughs> Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Thomas was a skeptic, a doubter, who later on made one of the greatest professions of Jesus' identity as God, but doubted him. Matthew was a former traitor to his own people. He identifies himself as Matthew the publican, the sinner. James, the son of Alphaeus, as I mentioned, either younger or, or shorter than the other James. <laughs> James was faithful, though, never really given any recognition for it. Thaddeus, or Lebius, the other Judas, didn't really have any reputation on his own. We don't know very much about him. Simon the Zealots was a guerrilla fighter who wanted to usher in God's kingdom by force. And then there's Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, who for love of money and power, drew him to betray even his closest friends. I think about that group of 12 for just a minute. Some of those descriptions of them. Let me ask you this, can you identify with any of them? I think the point is this, that we can look at them and realize that they are not that much different than you and I. They had faults. They had failures. They had doubts. They messed up. They abandoned Jesus. These men, if you think about this group, they're really just a ragtag group of misfits. And yet these are the ones that Jesus specifically chose to carry out his mission. Notice a couple things about them. Think about their background. You realize that not one of them, not one single man of this group of 12 did Jesus choose from the religious system of the day. They were perfectly ordinary men in every way, prone to make mistakes. They had faults and failures. They had wrong attitudes, lapses of faith. Jesus often said of them that they were slow learners and lacked faith. They span the political spectrum from a zealot who hated Rome <coughs> and was opposed to it in every way to a uh, Jew who chose to work for Rome and abandoned his people. Jesus didn't choose one rabbi. Jesus didn't choose one Pharisee. He didn't choose one Sadducee. He didn't choose one priest. Not one person out of the religious establishment of the day. None of them had theological training. Other than a couple of years with Jesus, these were not religious professionals. They were fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, ordinary, regular, common men. Not a whole lot of special about them. You know, I was reading recently about William Tyndale. William Tyndale was one of the main men involved in translating the Bible from Latin into English so that the common man could read the Bible in his day and age. It was an effort that he was later exiled for. 
spent much of his life in poverty and persecution, and eventually it was an effort. His desire to translate the Bible into English from Latin was actually an effort that he was strangled and burned at the stake for. Can you imagine? Just for simply wanting the average person to be able to read the Bible themselves. What I didn't realize actually was that one of the main things as I was reading that motivated Tyndale to translate scripture into a common language, one of the things he mentioned was a survey of English clergy that revealed that most of them couldn't even name the 12 disciples. They didn't even know who they were. In other words, these men were so idolized and canonized and dehumanized by the church that they were unreachable and unaccessible. These were saints that nobody could live up to. Which I think is ironic because as Jesus was choosing men to follow him, he didn't choose men because of their abilities or their spiritual superiority. The only thing that these men shared in common was that they were common men. Unremarkable, ordinary people. That was their background. Think of their qualifications. And Brad had mentioned to me a couple of weeks ago that the uh, fishing association was looking to hire someone uh, to come on. And I don't know if they filled that position or not, but he said that that applications had come in for this position from literally all over the world. People had been applying for this position from all over. So what do you do when you get resumes from applications from people all over and you're looking to hire a position? Well, you vet those candidates and you do that by starting to look at their qualifications, their skill sets, their abilities, what they can bring to the table. You know what qualifications these disciples had for this job? None. You looked at their resume, their application, their qualification, that area of the resume would be blank. And that tells me this, God was not looking for people with special abilities. God was looking for people with availability. God Jesus was not looking for men that were necessarily able, but he was looking for men that were available and ready to be used. Listen, as you go through the gospel accounts and read the accounts of, this, of these men, none of them hid their faults and their failures. They lacked humility big time. They were always arguing about who would be first in the kingdom of God, who would sit at, at God's right hand. Who would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They lacked faith. Over and over, Jesus said to them, O ye of little faith. They lacked spiritual understanding. Jesus was constantly explaining his parables to them because they didn't get it. They lacked commitment. When trouble came, they ran. They abandoned Jesus. Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. And listen, Jesus knew all of those things when he chose these 12 men, and he chose them anyways. These were not men that I would have chosen. But I want you to think finally of their outcome. I love when it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, 
the disciples had been cast in prison and were preaching. And God miraculously intervened, allowed them freedom. The religious leaders started looking for them. And it says this, when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. These were regular, ordinary men who through the power of God turned the world upside down. They became great spiritual leaders and preachers and teachers and the foundation of the church. How does that happen? I think it happens not because of who they were or their leadership abilities or their skill sets or their qualifications. It happened because of Christ in them and the power of the message that they preached. I say to you this this morning, I think many Christians become discouraged. They lose heart when they look at their own struggles with sin, their own inabilities, their own difficulties in their life. Sometimes we tend to think, we look at those struggles that we have, we look at our past and we, we tend to think to ourselves, we're just worthless nobodies. And left to ourselves, that might be true. But one preacher said it this way, worthless nobodies are just the kind of people that God uses because that's all he has to work with. You might be thinking this way this morning, I don't know if God can use me. I don't have very much to offer. I don't have the greatest past. I have a lot of regrets, a lot of things I would do differently if I could do it over again. I've messed up from time to time. I still mess up. I still struggle. I'm just not sure that I, I have a whole lot to offer. I mean, if we're talking about resumes, then mine is pretty empty. You know what I say to that? Well, actually, it's not what I say to that. It's what the Bible says to that. It's this, perfect. That's exactly the kind of people that God is looking for. The truth is this, which one of us hasn't messed up? Which one of us is the number one candidate for the job? <laughs> no, God can use you and God will use you in spite of your past and even because of your past. God uses broken and sinful people. God uses regular, ordinary, everyday people because that's all he has to work with. Turn just quickly to 1 Corinthians. We read this already. 1 Corinthians, we read this earlier as we started in chapter 1. You might say, well, why would God use people like this? Let's read it again. In verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God had chosen the, the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why would God choose 
people like that in verse 29 that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Why does God use people like that? So God will receive the glory for it. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 says that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. No one would ever look at these men, these 12 group of, of disciples, and conclude that these men had done what they did by their own abilities and their own strength. There is no human explanation for the influence of the gospel other than this. God did it. God did it. How else can you explain what they did? Listen, when God works here in this church and in your life and through your life, there's no other explanation humanly possible than this. God did it. All the glory to Him. God takes ordinary people and God does extraordinary things so that God alone gets the glory for it every time. I love Acts chapter 4, verse 13. I put it up here. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. These were just regular, untrained, ordinary men, but they understood this, that they had been with Jesus and they turned the world upside down. What kind of people does God use? God uses you. God uses me. God uses anybody that's available and surrendered to him. That's who God uses. The truth is this morning, God can use you in spite of your past. God can use you in spite of your perceived faults and failures. One of the amazing themes of Scripture is how God uses people that don't deserve it. And He alone gets the glory for it. Let me say this, things that are done in the power of God have eternal consequences. As the disciples surrendered to Him, and yielded to him, God did things with eternal consequences. As we allow God to be strong through our weakness, as we let him work through us, there will be eternal fruit. The disciples turned the world upside down. These 12 men. What could God do through this group as we yield ourselves to him? Thank you for listening to this podcast. My prayer is that God would use the preaching of his word in your life in a special way. If there's any way that we can be a help to you, please feel free to reach out at bibcinfo at gmail.com. Or if you're in the area, you're always welcome to come join us in worshiping the Lord together every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and Wednesday at 630. May the Lord bless you today.